The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. My name is Shelley Graff, and I'm the associate director here at Common Ground. I do a fair amount of teaching, some a little more when Mark is gone. He's leading the he and Win Fricky are leading the Labor Day Retreat, Common Ground's Labor Day Retreat, eight-day retreat at Meta Meditation Center. So they'll be back tomorrow. Many people from the community are there. Is anybody here for the first time? Awesome. Yeah, welcome. And if you wouldn't mind saying your names for us. Hi, I'm Eleni. Eleni? Welcome. Amitabha. Welcome. And there's somebody back there? Yeah. Christy. Welcome. Yeah. Got many people who know many things in the room, so ask someone if you need some, have some questions or want them answered. We have a program host here today. I think Dan is somewhere on Haya and Patrice and Philip and me, Louis, lots of people. So ask away if you have questions. I've been back for about a week from a gathering of the IMS teacher trainee cohort. And we were immersed in the topics of karma or karma and rebirth. And so I've been sitting with, practicing with these teachings for a while now, prior to going and since coming back also. So I felt inspired to share some of my own thoughts on these teachings with you today. For me, getting into this topic of kama or karma, we might think of karma as cause and effect, just to make it real simple for us. But what it really points to is volitional intention. So anytime we have an intention that's moving through our heart and we respond to that, that's what's meant by karma. Often we get confused with that volitional intention, that willful intention, and the results of karma. So the results are the impact of our intentions that's vipaka. The Pali word is called vipaka. It's a different, different thing, related but different, right? So kama is really that interest in what's moving in our heart, what calls us to respond, to think, to move, to act in the world, in our lives, with each other, even what calls us to silence, right? So that intention that moves, that moves us. And so often for me, when I've got really into understanding or wanting to understand kama, it feels cumbersome or extra complicated, and I kind of just want to avoid it. But not recently. And one of the things that shifted for me during, during our training is we do this thing called sharing circle. And it's been a beautiful way for us as a cohort, the 20 of us, to get to know each other. 
And so during the week, we take turns, 10 minutes each, sharing about something related to the topic that we're studying that week. And so this time it was 10 minutes on our relationship to Kama and rebirth. And what I learned while I was listening to other people share and hearing even myself share about Kama, you know, without any study materials in front of me or definitions or words of the Buddha even, is that it came out really naturally. Stories of our lives, stories from childhood, stories of the way that we have understood cause and effect. And it felt so relational. And then having a conversation with a Dharma friend who reminded me that the word for, or the the translation of sutta, or the teachings, it really means thread. And so just this conversation, being there in this relational way, sharing stories of our lives, and then talking with a friend, really reminded me, like, oh, the Buddha meant for these teachings to be practiced in community. There's something that really supports understanding when we are talking and learning with one another. It's a relational practice. I don't want to forget that. And so just that, just these two simple experiences really provided some access to the teachings in a way that I haven't had before. And specifically this idea of suttas or the teachings or the threads, we can pull on any one of them, and there's a lot of value in tugging on the thread of kama or the thread of tranquility or samadhi or the thread of wise understanding or something, any one thread, and get a lot from that. But there's also something that we, we will miss something if we don't remember to also see the cloth, the cloth that these threads are woven into. And so sometimes it can you know, be useful just to take a big step back when trying to understand, like, okay, what's the, what's the bottom line here? All right, the Buddha was teaching about something. What was that? What was that something? was talking about suffering and the end of suffering. Okay, so that's the backdrop. So we want to remember that. And then remember that he pointed us to a way out of suffering, talked about that in the Four Noble Truths. The Fourth Noble Truth, he pointed us to the Noble Eightfold Path, these path factors that when practiced together as a cloth, they can be practiced as threads, but they're really meant to be understood as a cloth, right? That when they're practiced together, that's when we really feel the impact. That's when we can really taste freedom. So these three parts of the path, the cultivation of the mind, this mind training that we do when we sit and we practice, not just sitting, but walking in our lives when we're practicing, training the mind to find some stability. When When the mind can find some stability, then it learns to see clearly and understand deeply one part of the path. Another part of the path is this these factors um, around wisdom, understanding wisdom. So that deep understanding that comes from mind training, seeing things that, seeing that there's uh, 
conditions come together in any one moment. And it's because of these conditions and the way they arise in this moment that gives rise to this, this experience that we're having. And it's actually not personal, even that it feels that way, even though it feels that way. And then the third element of the path is around ethical conduct. So sila, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And so sometimes we can extract one part of the path and think that we've got, we can figure things out. But it's really when we see the cloth that this deeper understanding is accessible to us. So putting together this all the elements, not prioritizing, which sometimes we do in the West, prioritize this, this mind training over other parts of the path. Ethical conduct, which really, for me, highlights how this practice is relational. Ethical conduct, we matter. What we say, what we do matters. It has an impact on each other and our lives and each other. And then always keeping in mind wisdom so that we we know we have some access to a deeper way of understanding our human experience. So when the Buddha was interested in suffering and, and the way out of suffering, he really meant that in the deepest way possible. So the way out of suffering in the deepest way possible. It's beyond what we might read in a book, or it's beyond psychology. It really goes to the deepest place. So remembering that, when things are not so easy to understand. Like, okay, the Buddha's pointing to something really deep here, and we can also get a taste of that, a strong taste of that, in very ordinary ways. So... Like I said, this comma really points to our volition, our willful intentions. And when the Buddha, and well, let me read something from the Buddha. So when the Buddha talked about comma, he really framed comma in the context of rebirth. So you don't have to, we don't have to believe in rebirth, but we should understand that that's the context that the Buddha was speaking from, right? And even if we don't wholeheartedly believe in rebirth, which the Buddha never said that we had to, but it's probably wise to entertain the idea to not close the door on rebirth, no matter where you stand. In fact, the Buddha, I think, said that closing the door or denying rebirth would have been wrong view. So a misinterpretation. So keeping the door open to this possibility and understanding when we read some of the teachings, and we hear some of the teachings, that that's the context he was speaking from. Any disciple of mine should reflect thus, should reflect thus, just like in the chant we were doing earlier. I am the owner of my kama, the heir of my kama. I have kama as my origin, kama as my relative, kama as my resort. I will be the heir of whatever kama, good or bad, that I do. So in a simple way, the Buddha is just reminding us that we can never, we will never be resolved of feeling 
into the impact of our choices, of our intentions. Everything, all of the intentions that we have, all of the actions that result from the intentions that we have will have some impact. We may feel that now, we may feel that later, we may not feel that for another life, but there will be some impact. And there's a difference here between our volitional intentions and conditionality. So, for example, I went outside and noticed that the downspout had fallen off of my gutter. So I could say it was because it was windy. But that would negate all of the other conditions that were supporting the downspout and falling off. Like the screw came out, and it was kind of hanging on there, and then the wind came, and my dog is, you know, runs through the, runs barrels out of the door and often knocks it around. So there are all these other conditions that influence the downspout falling off. It's not just a one-to-one causality. So even though we'll hear it in the suttas, these big statements like um, the Buddha, there's another. When it was said, kama should be understood, for what reason was this said? Words of the Buddha. It is volition, practitioners, that I call kama, for having willed one's act, one acts by body, speech, or mind. And what, and what is the diversity of kama? There is kama to be experienced in hell. There is kama to be experienced in the animal realm. There is kama to be experienced in the realm of afflicted spirits. There is kama to be experienced in the human world. And there is kama to be experienced in the deva world. This is called the diversity of kama. And what is the result of kama? The result of kama, I say, is threefold. To be experienced in this very life, in the next rebirth, or some subsequent occasion. This is called the result of kama. The Noble Eightfold Path is the way leading to the cessation of kama. So we've got these conditions that come together. Again, the Buddha is placing kama in the context of rebirth. And in the Buddhist cosmology, there are multi, you know, different realms of existence. So the Buddha is pointing to all the animal realm, the hell realm, the human realm, all these different realms. And there are also these big statements that are made about um, sickness or like if you're, um, you might be born into a low realm or a high realm. You might have an early death or live a long life. And, and these things are related to kama, but not only kama, right? Just like the downspout didn't fall only because of wind. There are all these conditions that are always influencing reality, our reality. So our own volition, our own intentions, as well as conditionality in any moment. So another example is you might eat something without any intention of becoming sick, but it makes you sick, right? Is that your fault that you became sick? Is that because you had some intention, some volitional intention? No, the conditions were just right for you to become sick, right? So we don't want to take out some of these teachings piece by piece because they, can, they have been used to really make some big and misinformed statements about 
lots of things. So lots of things, like to justify class or racism, the caste system, right? Like it's your own fault or our own fault that we are in the, that we have the experiences that we have. And so we're holding both at the same time, that everything that we say and do really matters. All of our intentions will absolutely have an impact. And balancing that with this idea of conditionality, that there are conditions, multiple conditions, influencing this moment, and we can never figure them all out. We shouldn't even try to figure them all out. Because it will make us crazy to try to figure them all out. We just can't. And especially if we entertain the idea of rebirth, we're trying to figure out conditions from, you know, like, could have been three lifetimes ago that something, there was some intention that impacted this lifetime. So we'll never be able to know that. But what we can keep in mind, what we can use this teaching to how we can use this teaching to support us is maybe by thinking about what we're setting in motion. So what we are setting in motion with our intentions, what we're moving forward. So even though we may not have any control over the impact, and it's true, we can make some guesses as to impact. We can see, for example, that with a lot of people on the planet, and a lot of ignorance around what we're, how we're contributing to the Earth's health or destruction, that there's an impact, right? Climate change is alive and real, and there's an impact. Our behavior has an impact. Now, we might not notice that in the moment that we throw the banana peel into the compost bin or put the compost bin into the larger, or put the compost bag into the larger bin. We might not feel the impact, but we, can, but we can keep in mind, oh, I have the intention to set something good in motion here. I have the intention to take care of my life. I have an intention to take care of the life of all the children who are around. I have the intention to take, to take care of the planet for generations to come. And so that understanding of intention and conditions can support our forward movement, our decision-making, our care for each other. Ajahn Brahm said, half of kama is the ingredients that we get to work with. The other half, the most crucial part, is what we make of them in this life. What we set in motion for ourselves, for each other, for our communities, for the planet, for the world. So part of what I was getting out of the sharing circle is really this, it's, it becomes a, an alive practice, right? Kama becomes something really relevant and has an impact that we can notice, the impact of understanding the teaching can have a real uh, impact on how we live our lives. 
sometimes I'll have this sense of like, oh, my God, everything matters. And that's kind of a startling reality. Like, ah, there's nothing, even though I may try to kid myself about this, there's nothing I can say or do that won't have an impact. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful reality. Even if it feels like, you probably know this feeling, oh, I got away with that one. Nobody noticed. Nobody knew what I was really thinking. Or nobody really knew my motivations for that. Right? But even that intention, that intention that may feel hidden, still has an impact. It will have an impact on our own realities, and it, it sets something in motion that we may not, that may not be visible to us. So where do we see Kama easily, and how does this teaching come alive for us? One of the ways that I've been interested in Kama over a while now is just to understand, I mean, we're really just understanding something, not just, we're understanding cause and effect in a very simple way, right? It's more complex than that, but we can bring it down to a simple level, just like we do, like, hey, what is the Buddha teaching? Suffering, freedom from suffering. Is this leading to suffering? Is this leading out of suffering? Just ballpark our behaviors in these two categories, right? Okay, I'm on the path, I'm off the path, something like that. Understanding something about my own familial lineage, right? Looking back, understanding history, understanding culture, Understanding what influenced my grandmother, what influenced my mother, what influences me, and how I have carried forward into my life many of the uh, norms that propelled them through theirs. Some knowingly, and some just because it happened that way. One of the things I've reflected on is just what it was like to be in utero, right? And be influenced by all of the factors that influenced my mother. So she grew up in a time and had stress and had some peace and had some ease and some discomfort. And all of that in some way impacted her body. And because I was growing in that tummy, impacted me in some way that I may or may not be aware of, right? So in some ways, I'm carrying forward a lot of my own familial history in that way. We all are. And we don't really know the impact of all of that. We don't know the impact, right? We can't predict that part. Another way that I've been interested in comma is just getting interested in what's happening around climate change right now. And I've been interested more recently because there's this climate strike that's coming up on September 20th. Some of you might know about it all over the country. Some youth have joined together and initiated this movement. And so places all over the world actually are organizing these 
strikes, and there's a small group of the Eco-Sangha, Eco-Sattva community group here at Common Ground is organizing a sit together on the 20th in solidarity with that movement across the, all over the world. So there's a bulletin, there's a poster on the bulletin board if you're interested in that. But because of that, I was reading a little bit about the strike and getting a little more um, information about the impact of climate change, the impact of all of the conditions, the impact of all of the conditions, and my own actions, my own volitional intentions or ignorance in some ways about how my choices impact the greater planet. And one of the things I learned was that migrant farm workers are dying of heat stroke at greater rates. So interesting, right? I didn't know that. And so we wouldn't want to say that migrant farm workers are dying of heat stroke because of one thing in particular, but the influence of conditions and our intentions have brought us to this point. So there's impact. There's impact. And then another way that I've noticed or that I am really invested in learning about is understanding this reality of whiteness and my own white privilege, but not just white privilege, the impact of whiteness, these ideas of superiority or supremacy that our country has been founded upon, and the way that influences a single moment in my life. So in this training, there are 15 people of color and five white allies. And often in a room of people of color, I know my role. And usually it's to listen more than speak. But in this case, I'm a participant in this training also. And these are my beloved friends now. And we all want to hear from each other. So I have some responsibility to participate and some responsibility to step back, right? To step in and step back. And that's no different than how we are here at Common Ground, right? We have the same responsibility to each other. And so there are these moments, all these really rich moments in the training when I don't know what to do, right? Like, oh, is now the time that I speak? Is now the time that I step back? Is now, what 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 do my friends, what do my beloveds want for me right now? What do they need for me? Is it to share something that's going to be supportive? Is it to challenge something that's going to be supportive? Or is it to step back and just listen? And these moments when I have no idea what to do, right? And I don't, I actually don't know, I can't predict the impact of the choice that I make anyway. So I can only, the only thing that I have control of is to rest in my intentions. And, and often it's just having the intention to be a full participant in this community and to learn how to take care of each other and to let my actions move from that. And so I just go with something. Sometimes it's to speak and sometimes it's not to speak. Sometimes it's to say something and that thing is not very useful. And sometimes it's to say something that's really useful. right? But I don't actually know. So it's this practice of, act- of leaning into the unknown, this practice of leaning in and surrendering 
to the re- to not knowing, S- surrendering to not knowing the results, to not knowing vipaka, really. But we can have the intention to set something good in motion, and that's what we can rely on. So the way our mind training, the way the cultivation of the mind, that one aspect, the path factors in that one category, sitting down, training in, supporting the stability of mind, really gives us a fighting chance of connecting with our intentions in moments when it matters deeply what we do. If we're all just doing what we do a lot of the time and just functioning off of autopilot, <laughs> you know, not really being mindful of what we're saying and doing, then we're setting something in motion that we have no idea about. But as practitioners on this path, we have this opportunity to get really clear about what we're setting in motion, and then look and check that out. Like, oh, what is this? What is this that I'm setting in motion? And sometimes we'll get close to our intentions, and we'll realize that they're not that pure. right? And so we'll make a choice about that, too. And that choice, that choice to be responsive to that impurity, I don't know if that's the right word, But we might notice that even though we make a kind gesture, what seems like a kind gesture, we really have some jealousy in our heart or some aversion brewing in our heart. But that intention to notice that, like, oh, and to take care of that, and to make a response, a careful response that's not going to cause harm or that's going to cause the least amount of harm, right? To have that as the motivating factor, like, I want to do no harm. And that is what I'm setting in motion. I'm setting in motion that intention to do no harm, even though we don't know of the impact. And there could be times that we, we probably know this, I certainly know this in my life, when I have the best of intentions and I say something and it just really lands poorly on another person. Right? So we can't control that. We can't control the results. But in community, we have this opportunity to take care of each other, to realize that, oh, it's not easy being a suffering human being in this world. And all the things that are flowing through my heart and mine are the things that are flowing through yours. And so when you make a mistake, I'm going to be brave enough out of love to say something, because I care about both of us, right? And when I make a mistake, hopefully you'll feel brave enough to give me some feedback because you care enough about me. And instead of having to run away to abandon the world, to abandon our the part of the path that relates to our ethical conduct, our relationships to each other in the world, instead of having to just avoid that altogether, try to avoid that, we can't, but to try, then I can actually lean in and we can hold each other in the service of awakening together. It's such a beautiful idea, isn't it? I know that's the community I want to be a part of. And I know that's the community that I hope we're co-creating together. And certainly the community that we're trying to co-create in my little 20-person cohort. 
And it's not easy. This isn't easy work. So this is a juicy topic, and I wanted to leave plenty of time for to hear from each other. But before I turn it over to you, I want to read this poem. It's one of Mahasi Sayadaw's Dhamma poems, translated. Kama, killing results in shortness of life, while longevity comes from lack of strife. Torture leads to suffering and pain, while good health from empathy is gained. Ugliness from fiery, angry springs, while patient, shining beauty brings. Few friends are found if jealousy is there, while rejoicing will bring followers near. Stinginess leads to poverty low, while giving causes wealth to grow. Low rank comes from haughty pride, while humility leads to a noble life. Dullness comes from neglecting to seek, while inquiry leads to knowledge deep. From doing evil, evil comes. From doing good, good is one. Good and bad will come to you by the law of karma true. Kama is the only thing which all beings own, faring along on Kama's road, bliss or ill is known. It's always yes and, isn't it? Thank you for listening. (laughs) Comments, disagreements, reflections. Uh, My name is June, and thank you for beautiful talks. It's just really clear and cleared up a lot of things for me. Um, But one of the things I want to pick up on is when you, towards the end, talked about... um, giving each other feedback, you know, like I, if I make a mistake, you can tell me or I could tell you. Well, I recently had a, a situation with my daughter, <laughs> complicated mother-daughter relationships, but, and I have to say, my daughter um, is one of the most emotionally intelligent people I've, I know on the planet. But I uh, wanted to give her um, my intention, okay, was some concerns that I had uh, and uh, about her and her partner. And the result of that really was uh, a, a conversation about boundaries. And I th- what I've learned about that, um, because essentially she was saying that she didn't, you know, that she experienced it as lack of trust on my part of her to negotiate her life and her world. Um, and I, what my takeaway then was really, I feel like I have, you've just you have to seek permission. Um, because it's just such dangerous territory. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and I have had many conversations with friends about this, and a lot of people don't want to know what you, what you think you know. So I just wonder if you could comment on that. Sounds wise. <laughs> Sounds wise. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, you just really highlighted for us the complicatedness of relationships. Yeah. 
And there's, I mean, a lot of... Yeah, it's important to... I know for me at times when I've been able to, like I have feedback I want to give, and this comes up a lot in intimate relationships, right? Partners, daughters, sons, siblings, children. Um, And I just want to add, you know, even though the intention was care and love, really deeper in the motivation was fear. Yes. (laughs) And then control, (laughs) you know, uh, and, uh, you know, all of that. So it was a really uh, high teaching for me. So I don't think I need to add more to that. (laughs) You just offered us a teaching of your own. Yeah. Yeah, our intentions, when we really care to look, they're mixed. They're often mixed. Yeah. And what happens is we sometimes respond to what we hope our intentions are, and then afterwards, when it lands poorly, we realize, oh, I didn't really have the purest of intentions. It was mixed. Some fear, some control, some love. Yeah. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. You have a very beautiful community. Um, my question is more around suffering um, than karma. Hopefully that's okay. Um, I enjoyed uh, chanting the recollections, and it felt very um, reminiscent for me. I'm undergoing a lot of loss this year. Um, uh, at the beginning of the year, I lost my mother to suicide, and um, last week I lost my father uh, to cancer, and also my husband um, entered a rehab for heroin addiction. And I'm finding it really difficult to disentangle all the loss. Um, and I know uh, the Buddha taught that if we can't bear our loss, it magnifies and increases. And so I'm interested, I guess, in this relationship. Um, if there's, I know there could be another relationship to all this loss that isn't one of aversion and non-acceptance. And I just, I guess my question is how to, <laughs> how to get there, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're always called to be right where we're at and not somewhere that we're trying to be, right? So everything in its own, in its due time. And this might be a time to really grieve and feel the non-acceptance of it whatever it is, loss of your mother, your father, your husband, right? All of these things are going to be so complicated. And so just allowing the heart to be where it is and then watching the heart be in a place that you didn't imagine, right? With some surprise around that. And I know for my own life that healing really happens when we can remember to be connected. And I think this is at the heart of the teachings of the Buddha, being willing to get close to the truth of the way things are, right? To be able to connect. And notice this in simple ways, like connect with the body. The body gives us some idea of what we're feeling even, emotional feeling or what we're thinking, like you know, we can just feel everything right here in the body. The tummy, the chest, the arms, the tension, the lack of tension, the places of peace. 
And so just being willing to connect with the, the way things are and connect externally to, to other people that might be supportive, to use language to allow this, to allow experience to move. Because, you know, these, we can talk theoretically about the teachings, but when we're in the middle of great difficulty, they have to be applicable, right? So how does connection and intimacy relate to this? What did the Buddha mean about that? Like, what is it like to, the Buddha said that Sangha is, a, is all of the holy life. So what does that mean? It means that these teachings are meant to be practiced in community. So how about now? Where's my community? How do I lean in to people? How do I rely on others? How do I tell people what I need? Yeah. Um, I'm Julia, and thank you for the talk today. And um, I have a question, and then just a little comment. Um, So the comment is at the end when you were speaking about... I'll just say what it, how it impacted me. This karma as practice or karma as practice, um, how does that show up for me? And I think I can get into sort of the um, I should be a good person side of karma, which I don't, I don't think that's <laughs> the intent. Um, but more weaving it into my practice and um, it made me laugh because I have this crazy jealousy uh, of this performer. I am not a performer. Um, and this performer is just amazing. But I have this kind of weird jealousy. Um, and I keep trying to push it down. It's really funny. Like, come on, get it together, girl. <laughs> like, why are you jealous? And I'm going to see this performer tonight. And um, and I keep trying to get out of it, and I'm going. And so, what what a funny thing to come as a practitioner. I know this is ridiculous, but like it's such suddenly, if I show up as a practitioner with a different intention, that changes everything for me. Like the jealousy dissipates. Um, so that's something for me to contemplate in a different way. Like, um, how funny. I can see this performer in a whole different way if I show up in community with the performer. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and the question I have is, um, where, I don't know that you mentioned where you were with comma when you, you you said you had a kind of a switch something changed for you and I wondered if you'd share uh, kind of where you were when you went before that shift happened does that make sense yeah so anyway thank you yeah and if I could just make a comment about the performer it's a beautiful example and how you know like showing up like having this intention to to deepen understanding as a human being, like to use our life to grow in understanding is different than to get all the pleasurable experiences out of this life before I die, right? So showing up at this with this performer, and there might be a lot of pleasant, but there might also be a lot of jealousy. But to be really interested in, like as a practitioner, interested in jealousy as an experience. like to. 
So to use, like, oh, I'm going here, it might be pleasant because I might enjoy this, and it might be really unpleasant in moments because I'll be visited by jealousy again and again and again. And to, just to be interested in, like, oh, my intentions are to learn something here or whatever your intentions are. My intentions are to get close to jealousy. See if I can get close to jealousy. See if I can learn something about jealousy. See if I can learn something about jealousy and watch its letting, letting go of jealousy. Because that's where freedom is. And then, um, yeah, I more I thought about karma as an intellectual thing and not as a, I didn't have such a real lived experience for me until I have started to work with it, especially in the relational field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll have to leave it here. So thank you for conversation. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.